This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for February 2nd, 2014. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. The message is by Father Ron Baird. They might know what today is. Groundhog Day. What? Scout Sunday, that's another one. What else? Super Bowl Sunday. National holiday, right? What else? Candlemas. Yeah, that's right. Today is the day of Candlemas. What's the other name for Candlemas, though? <laughs> Actually, that is somewhat true. But it's the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple. Um seems to get buried between Super Bowl Sunday and Groundhog Day, doesn't it? Actually, that's interesting because Groundhog Day was a tradition that rose out of, of the tradition of the Feast of the Presentation, uh, not the other way around. But um, the, what would happen was the German community that moved into Pennsylvania became enamored with, with groundhogs, apparently, and um, began to look at them as a sign of the coming of spring because it was considered that the 40 days after uh, Christmas was halfway through the winter, and so they wanted some sign of spring to come. You can appreciate that, can't you, um, after all we've been through? And so they, they started looking to the groundhog to be a, a portent of things to come. Now, why they did that, I don't know, because near as I can tell, you can't trust that groundhog at all. I heard he got sued last year, but <laughs> was it a malpractice of groundhogging, or I don't know what it, the um, but. The Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord oftentimes gets overshadowed by all these other events that goes on. We don't often celebrate it on Sunday because it doesn't often fall on Sunday. But it actually does take place and the lessons take the place of the Sunday lessons that are in the lectionary when it comes. The, we change everything to white. And we light the Paschal candle to celebrate. So just what is this Feast of the Presentation? Well, according to the Law of Moses in the book of Leviticus, women, after giving birth to a male child were considered unclean for 40 days. And at the end of the 40, and so when they were considered unclean, they had to uh, sleep in separate housing um, and be totally separated from the rest of the community because of the issue of blood. At the end of the 40 days, they would then present themselves to uh, either in the temple or in a synagogue, and a rabbi would declare them officially clean. And so they could move back in the household and, and resume normal relations with everyone, which seems very strange to us today, but in some ways wasn't a real bad idea, um, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Later in the church, they came to have a ceremony that came out of this that was called, does anybody know what that was? I remember a long, the churching of women. That's right. Because on the 40th day after giving childbirth, uh, the women would come out with the baby. Oftentimes that was uh, done partly because of this custom, but it was also done, I think, in part because after 40 days, the women had recovered from the labor and delivery, and the baby was a little older, and, and it was safer to bring them out amongst the germs of all the people, um, particularly in the Middle Ages when there were lots of them around. And so they had the churching of women. That, that fell out of uh, popularity in the 60s and 70s, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> women kind of took offense at being called unclean. And <laughs> and so they decided they better change the name altogether. And uh, the, so they went with the second part of why Jesus and Mary and Joseph came to the temple, which was that also on the 40th day, 
if you had the firstborn male of a family was to be presented to the Lord for use for his purposes, sometimes to become a priest, sometimes to become prophet, sometimes a judge back, you know, way back when, but all sorts of different functions. But the firstborn male was always given to the Lord to use as he saw fit. And then the Lord would either give him back to the family to raise, or he would sometimes keep them in, in the temple and, and use them for uh, priestly duties and things. Out of that became a tradition. Has anybody ever heard of that? I mentioned ACOC, nobody ever heard of it. There was a tradition a long time ago, I don't think it's very popular anymore either, but that the firstborn male in a Catholic family became a priest. Anybody remember that? It was often very popular. I don't think it was necessary. It was just sort of a tradition. I don't know. I always thought my mother, I told my mother when I became a priest, I said, you know, I'm your firstborn male. That means you get, you know, 2,000 years off purgatory, so it's a good deal. <laughs> and she said, I don't believe in purgatory. I said, well, then it's not too good a deal. So we have these traditions, and if you remember in Exodus, which is where it's commanded, um, that the firstborn of any male of any, unblemished male of any species, was to be offered to the Lord, either as a sacrifice or as a living sacrifice in the case of, of a male child. Now, what's interesting about this is that, as we come to this day, is that the people who were there and, and what that means. Because when they bring the child into the temple, to, for the ritual purification for Mary and for the presentation of Jesus. What happens to them is fascinating because there's a, there are two old people who happen to be there. One is named Simeon. Now, Simeon was apparently a priest in the temple and served in the temple, but he was apparently very old because he didn't seem to have regular duties because he wasn't apparently scheduled to be there that day. Uh, doing anything. It was the Holy Spirit that caused him to come because the Lord had shown him that he would not die until he laid eyes upon the Savior of the world. And so he was waiting. He was waiting to die for the coming of the Savior of the world. And when Simeon was led by the Spirit to come, he, he sees the child Jesus. He takes this child into his arms and he says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, for these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, you know, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people Israel. Now, that's a fascinating thing for this priest of Israel to say, that, that this Savior is a light to enlighten the nations. Because it, it wouldn't be unusual for him to say he's the glory of the people of Israel. That would be normal enough. But a light to enlighten the nations, that means the Gentiles. And that's rather unusual. But we see that thrust in Luke, because Luke himself is a Gentile, and Luke wants to point out those things specifically that were being called forth where this Messiah who's come into Israel was not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. And so he'll he'll do that repeatedly throughout his gospel. Well, Simeon was ready to go then. He said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. He probably waited a long time for that moment, and now he was ready to die. The second person that we run into in the place is, is up comes this prophet named Anna. And Anna is also very old. It said that she had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage. She was probably about 13 when she got married, 12, 13, so she's probably about 20. She lived for 64 years after her husband died, and she stayed at the temple. She just lived in the courts of the temple all the time. And what that tells us about her is that she probably never had children. 
Obviously, if she had had children, she wouldn't be in the temple. Um, she would have had to raise the children. And so she probably didn't have extended family. There was no one to take care of her. And so where did she go? She went to the temple, and she just lived there because she had no way to support herself. And so what she would do is just live off of bread or whatever anybody would give her that came around. And, and day and night it said she was fasting and praying. 64 years of fasting and praying, waiting again for the coming of the Christ child. And when she sees him, she begins to tell everybody who will listen the good news of who this child is and how wondrous that is. And so we have this feast that we celebrate about two old people who are waiting to die. Isn't that interesting? So we have a feast that's, that is marked by two old people who are waiting to die. And I think that's because they are really a sign for all of us. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but do you realize that all of us are waiting to die? From the moment you're born, you're waiting to die. It's, it's only a matter of when, not if. My father-in-law used to tell me he wasn't going. I told him I didn't know how that worked exactly. But he's lived long enough now that he says he doesn't know why he's still here, which is different. <laughs> so it's sort of on the air side of that, I guess. I think it was when he started riding in the car with me, he decided that it was better to go. But, um, and so we are waiting to die. What does that mean to wait to die? It really gives meaning to our life is what it was. It gave meaning to Simeon and Anna's life. That's why Simeon could say, Lord, let us now thy servant depart in peace. He had accomplished what it was he was waiting for. And for all of us who are still in our pilgrimage, who are still living, we need to see our life that way. As people who are walking towards a biological death, who are on a mission, a mission to accomplish what the Lord gives us to do. For Simeon, it was to wait until he had seen the Savior. For Anna, it was to proclaim the good news as the first prophet to proclaim that. You know, what are we about? You might think it was John the Baptist, but actually he was later when Jesus was baptized. But what, what are we waiting to do? Because the truth is, is that if you want to die in peace, it helps an awful lot if you've accomplished what it is you were made for. If you do those things that God has given you to do, then you're ready. I'm with a lot of people when they die. It's not uncommon in my, my profession, I guess. But there's a big difference between the people who are ready and the people who aren't. You know, it's amazing how, how different it is. And you never really can tell who's going to be what. It's not necessarily the people who went to church all their life, you know, Sometimes it's people who hardly ever went to church at all who are perfectly fine and ready. And Simeon was ready. Matter of fact, he was saying, okay, God, I'm ready to go now. It's good. Anna at 84 was, was ready. But are we ready? Will we be able to die well? That's really the question. Because dying well is an art. And it's going to require of us that we do something while we live that we look for the Lord's call and we do those things that the Lord gives us to do. I can remember a number of years back, there's a very good friend of mine, and I know many of yours too, um, who had ALS, Randy Raybould. Um, and Randy was just one of the neatest guys I've ever known. Um, always very level-headed, a great sense of humor. I mean, just a really good guy. And he got ALS. 
And while most of us were in denial about it, I mean, it's like, no, that couldn't happen. You know, that, that's terrible. Um, you know what his attitude about it was? It is what it is. He just said, you know, God would not have allowed me to have this if he didn't want it to be. And if it's a part of God's plan for me, then it will be good. I don't know how, and I don't know why, but it will be good. And I'll just spend what time I have looking for it and doing what I can. And he just carried on as though nothing was going on. And he did that for as long as he could. Eventually, he had to be in a wheelchair. Um, Eventually, he got to where he couldn't speak. And so he had to actually take one hand and type it out on a computer and get the computer to speak for him. And this over a period of several years. And I had many, many conversations with Randy about that. And the one thing he was never worried about was dying. He said, I'm ready. You know, I've done everything that I know to do in terms of what the Lord wants me to do. This is in spite of the fact that he still had young kids, by the way. When he finally did die, his oldest was in her first year in college. But here he is ready. You know, he taught me a lot about dying. He taught me how to die well because as time went on, it got to harder and harder to breathe and he couldn't swallow anymore. And so they had to put a feeding tube in and it got to be very painful for him. And it got to be a, a real burden for his family because he couldn't get up. He couldn't do anything. And he called the doctor. Actually, he had his wife call the doctor, but he had the doctor come see him. And he told the doctor, I'm done. I can't help but think of Simeon's. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. He said, I want the feeding tube removed. I just want you to take care of the pain. And his family said, well, what can we do for you? And what, what do you need? And he said, I'd like for all my family and friends to be here, if possible, you know, as many as it can. And when you're here, read me scripture verses and, and sing the hymns I loved. Now, it took him a long time to say that because he had to type it out through a computer. But, and that's what they did. And he died happy, having accomplished that which he had set out to do, which was to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. You know, that told me a lot about what holy dying really is. He didn't see life on this planet as a thing to be held on to. But rather, he saw it as the work of God to be done. And when he got to the point that he couldn't do that work of the Lord anymore, then it was time to move on to the new place where he could serve God in a new way. And there was no fear. There was only joy. I hope that all of us, can die that way. Because the truth is, all of us will die. But the question of whether we'll die that way or not is, will we have done what the Lord called us to do? Will we have listened? Will we be able to say, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace? Everybody is called by God. You know, it's not just clergy who have a calling. Every Christian has a calling. They're just sometimes different. You know, and and I don't know what your calling is because I'm not the one who's supposed to be calling you. God is. But you should be seeking his call and doing that which he wants you to do. I want to end with a a story about a calling that's quite different than being clergy. On Friday, I got an email from somebody I'd never heard of who said, I'm going to be in Columbus on Saturday, and and I'm going to, I've been asked... um, to bring you this Bible study tool. 
So I'm coming to your house. And, and I want to know if you're going to be there. And, and so I'm thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> I don't know who this is. You know, these days if somebody tells you they're going to give you a Bible, and I'm thinking, what kind of Bible study tool is he bringing to me? I mean, that doesn't make sense. And so I wrote him back and said, you know, I thought I'd better check this out a little bit before I said, okay. And I said, well, can you explain this a little more to me? Well, I never heard back from him. So I thought, well, that's, that's over with. Well, on Saturday, early in the afternoon, Judy gets a phone call from somebody, and it's this guy saying, are you at home? I want to bring you a Bible study tool. Bishop Ames blessed it on Tuesday, and he told me I should bring it to you. And so Judy says, this guy's coming over. You be here. <laughs> I was like, I don't have any idea who this guy is. So he shows up at our doorstep with his stepdaughter, who actually just lives here in Lewis Center. And and knocks on the door, and we open the door, and he and invite him in, and he's carrying this box, and the box is is a Bible made out of wood, and if you open the doors of it, inside of it, it has all the books of the Bible, each individually made and painted with the names listed down the edge of it, and he said, "This is my mission. I make these because I want kids to know the Bible." Now, for those of you who've taught in godly play or been in the classrooms, you may have noticed that they have that in godly play, that you actually buy it. It's, it's a box that opens up, and there are all these books of the Bible, in the, and the books are different sizes according to how long the book is. So it helps the kids learn what that is. And so I said, well, wow, that's really something. I, I said, I, I'm amazed. You said, you made this? He said, Yeah. And, and he said, this is what I'm called to do. And I said, well, do you all do godly play at, at your church? And he goes, what's that? I said, well, do you do catechesis of the good shepherd at your church? Because he used it in that too. And he goes, never heard of it. He didn't know anything about any of that. He said, this is just what God called me to do. He said, you're a priest. You know, God called you to do priest stuff. I'm a woodworker. God called me to make this. And then he told me to give it away. And I said, well, what, what do we... You know, what do you what do we owe you for this? I mean, this is a big deal. And he said, "Oh no, no, you don't owe me anything. I, I, this is my ministry. This is what I do. This is what God wants of me." And I said, "Do you have any idea how much these things cost?" And he goes, "No." And I said, "They're four hundred dollars." He said, "Really?" He said, "I made eight of them." I was like, "You should start a business." He goes, "He goes, no, it's not a business. It's a ministry." Is what God called me to do. He's the kind of person who I believe when he dies will die well because he will have done the things that God gave him to do. You have been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come do the things that God gives us to do. So that when death does come, whatever that may be, we can die well. That we can say like Simeon, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Amen. You have just been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. 
please join us again when we invite you to come and see.